It's the Paul Patterson and Tom Scallon podcast show. They're talking the walk and not about sloppy, sloppy Joes. So, talking walk, talk, talking walk. Talking walk, talk, talking walk. Talking walk, talk, talking walk show. Welcome back to episode 24 of Talking the Walk. This episode's name is Tony D. Amato. I am Paul Patterson. Not Tom Scallon. Hey, um, well, we'll talk about pauses here in just a little bit on, on uh, feedback. Um, again, original music, Jake Brown. Uh, just talked to him today about he had his guitar out here the last couple of days doing some strumming. So uh, Lee Nelson's song will be coming here shortly. Uh, Bailey Bishop and her original artwork for us and, and Tyler Stanley and the social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then our fact checker, of course, is Jill Martin. And then marketing, Jeff Gravy. Um, he threw something out on Friday night after, uh, after the game about maybe another t-shirt design. I don't know how well thought of that would be down in Southwest Iowa, but, um, you know, he had an idea. Um, podcast confessional. We're going to hop right in. Not even going to, not even going to mess around because we'll talk more about Tony Diamato, uh, as far as, uh, the name of the episode. And then our non-sponsor will come up here later on too. Um, Confessional. So the, the first thing I need to do is give you a little bit of a, a toothpaste update. So I had a tooth, a tooth, I had a tooth appointment. I had a dentist appointment last week and I chatted with my hygienist and I said, okay, first of all, don't judge me and, and try to guess how old I am based on the fact that I'm about to have a conversation with you about toothpaste. But here it is. I have three toothpastes and I, and I rotate them through. <clears throat> is that good or bad? Gives me a look, you know, squints her eyes a little bit. Um, probably not the best thing for you. And the reason for it is, is each one of those three have a little bit different formula in terms of what they do for sensitive teeth. Therefore, when you mix it up, <clears throat> you're basically changing what you're doing to your teeth every time you do it. So her suggestion was to <clears throat> pick one and use it all the time and pick your favorite one. So I have, I have picked my favorite one and now I'm using it all the time. Um, and then- What'd you do with the other toothpaste? We had this talk. What'd you do with the other tubes of tooth, toothpaste? They're sitting in there. Does toothpaste go bad as long as you keep it sealed up? I think it does. Okay, well, I'm gonna push the envelope on that and see what happens. And then <clears throat> she also suggested that there is a prescription strength sensitive um, teeth toothpaste that I have that I'm supposed to use at night also. So basically alternating between the, the, the traditional or the over-the-counter and then the prescription. So that's what I'm doing. So some of you might be thinking, good grief, how often do you go to the dentist? So I just would like to clarify things. I'm, I'm twice a year. However, the last time I went in the spring got pushed way back because of the, the pandemic. Therefore, these are these are a lot closer together. I'm not going to the dentist again until April, just so that people aren't getting too worked. Like, my goodness gracious, where do you go? Every other week to the dentist? <clears throat> Six months. So the next one. This one involves you. I need I need need you a little bit here on this one. 
you were sitting in your office. Okay, are you with me? Sitting in my office. You were by yourself. Therefore, based on the rules of our employer, you can have your mask off. Somebody comes, somebody comes into your office. Your reaction is what? I put my mask on. Immediately. You do it immediately? Yeah. Unless I'm, you know, uh, having something to eat or in mid, like, Coke Zero drink. Okay. Okay. So the first thing for me, I feel guilty. When they walk through the door and I don't have my mask on, it's like you just got caught with your hand in the cookie jar a little bit. You know what I mean? Even though it's right, you know, or it's okay, still has that little bit of like, ugh, dang it. Okay. Second thing is, I'm kind of a wait and see where does this person go? Are they a quick pop in, say hi, and get out? Are they a come in and get comfortable and then, and then I'm going to react and put my mask on? Are they, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of a wait and see kind of guy before I throw my mask on right away. And I think some of it has to do with I don't think I look as guilty if I don't, you know, grab my mask right away and throw it up there like you just caught me doing something that I'm not supposed to. Well, your pop-ins and my pop-ins might be different. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I want to make sure that people feel okay coming into my office and I put my mask on in case they want to come in and sit down and discuss something. And, you know, I mean, to be I, fair. Well, if I, if I don't want them there, I start hacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. That's a good way to get them out early. The the. I mean, to be I'm fair. I'm kidding, by the way. If I ever coughed in front of anybody, anybody, I'm kidding. Ghost. That's what I'm reminded of right there. When they're in the elevator. Um. But the the just the fact that your office is much smaller. So when somebody comes in, they're they're teetering on the six feet, um, distance. When they walk into our room, Jake and I's room, they they are they're outside six feet. Um, and we know that because we use your noodle, your your styrofoam noodle to uh, to measure that. I think I think my noodle. I think if you stay outside the my door, you know, kind of where the threshold is. Yeah, you're, you're good right there. If you enter in, you get everything: viruses, smells, everything. So that's that's why for me, I just I thought I I don't know. I was thinking about that the other day. I had somebody come in? I didn't have my mask on because I didn't have to because nobody else was in there. And then, yeah, you know, what's your reaction to? It? So I thought I'd bring that up. The, the last one for me is, so let's say, let's say my birthday is Sunday. Okay. It's not Sunday. Correct. But let's say it is. And I get a card in the mail today for my birthday. I cannot open that card until my birthday. Well, that makes total sense in... Paul world. Now, I'd open up the card, but if Melanie sees the card, she will quickly tell me that I can't open it until my birthday. Good work out of her. Yeah. Kind of scares me that you guys have some similar traits about things. But <laughs> well, yeah, there for the longest time I was referred to as Pauline. Um, <laughs> so but, yeah, no, I, I would open it up because you never know. You never know when somebody, my parents might drop me $5. That's nice of them. Yeah. Because last, well, two weeks ago, when we did senior speeches, you know, the, the seniors gave out cards. I haven't opened my card up yet from the seniors. 
because the banquet hasn't happened, you know, or the or the night of the banquet when it's scheduled. So it's still or the, the player coach get together. Yeah, that's what it'll be. Um, but it it's sitting on my counter because I refuse to open it because it's not time. Well, you want me to tell you what's in it? No. Christmas, same thing. I can't open anything early for Christmas either. You want to throw things off for me? Try scheduling, you know, like, so let's say you have this huge family and you got to do a Christmas, you know, the first weekend in December, you got to do it over Thanksgiving or whatever. I would have a terribly difficult time doing it. Now, if it happens afterwards, you know, if we want to have Christmas on New Year's Eve or whatever, okay, I can do that. But so, so your family has to do like, we've had to do three Christmases before my parents, we did our own and then we did Haig family Christmas. Sure. We've done one after one before and one like on the day. It really matters that you open the present. You're celebrating with your family. Isn't that what's important? I know. I would just have a tough time. I can't get out of this. I, it's not like I can just automatically change it. I would have a tough time with it. I don't agree with that. I think you could change it. Oof. You just have to let it go. <laughs> well, that's so easy. Yeah. Let's just do that. Makes perfect sense. So that was it for the confessional tonight. An update on the uh, toothpaste. I'm sure everybody was sitting at the edge of their seat waiting for I that. I mean, is this like, is this three weeks of toothpaste updates? <laughs> no, it's just a second. I'm, I'm surprised people aren't mailing you toothpaste by now. <laughs> well, I take it. Um, by the way, I'm using... It has to be more than two weeks. It's got to be three weeks. I swear we've talked about toothpaste. Oh, let me go back through it. Did you, did it you and I talk week. toothpaste in like the coach's locker room? It was last week. Yes, we did. We followed that up. It was last oh, week. Okay. We talked about it tonight, in fact. Um, so not yeah. only does nobody want to listen to us about toothpaste, <laughs> we don't care. We still talk about it in the coach's locker room. Right. <laughs> Just making sure everybody's all up to date on everything. What uh, do you have anything for the uh, confessional? <laughs> no, I I feel like the topic tonight puts me in a precarious situation about confessionals. So okay, it could be if if anybody dials in, there could be a a few callouts when I get done talking. I like it. I like. Well, we know one's coming for sure. Um, Tyler Shamel. So this is, we're now into listener feedback and, and uh, obviously previous uh, episode. Tyler Shamo loves listening and he does this on his drive to work. Um, said he usually takes a couple, um, couple times driving into work and he's looking forward to, to uh, Pete being on and the history of Meyer Field. Um, Lee Nelson corrected us. It was uh, Vern Troyer was mini me. Oh. And also, just a little side note, it was Dr. Ebel who sang just the two of us and not um, Austin Powers. Same character, or same actor, different character. Well, that's um, Vern Troyer. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vern Troyer. And then um, he wholeheartedly agreed with you that I am, in fact, a big timer at the uh, clinic. Uh, everyone agrees. Everyone agrees with me. There's no no shock to this. I thought maybe there might be a little more than that, but that that's good. Um, Jake, he he. So this is Jake Brown. He said he couldn't believe how long the pause was when I started talking about toothpaste. So he's like, man, that was the quickest confessional ever. And then he said, next thing you know, we're talking about it for ten minutes. 
So we <laughs> thought when it thought it was done, because there's a long pause, and then you and I somehow dragged out the topic of toothpaste for 10 minutes. Well, because I don't know what to address there. I mean, there's some psychosis. I, I think we could go into the DSM, whatever, five, and there'd be some psychosis that we could sit there and say. I, you know, the whole idea of toothpaste, I think, is right up there with insurance. It's, it's all the mob. You know, you, it really doesn't work all that well. You just need a little bit of it. You don't need a big strand. Uh, it probably has more to do with the toothbrush than anything else. I mean, there's just lots of avenues that we could discuss about this, of which I don't think you'd listen to me one bit. So I paused for a long time. Should I even discuss this with it? Genetics is also a, a topic that you could throw in there. Um, and am I talking to you or your father right now? The mob owning everything. <laughs> that is a... That's a Tom Scallon, Papa Tom, true Papa Tom topic. Um, mm. Jake Brown also threw how brutal the 32-team playoff schedule was back in the day. He, he agreed wholeheartedly that that was, that was tough. And remember, he's from Titletown, um, also yeah. known as Solon, where they won it you know, three years in a row with him. So sophomore, junior, and senior year, he went through that. Carried it, carried it on his shoulders is what he said, along with the Norwalk wrestling program. Yeah. Well, no, he turned the Norwalk wrestling program around. Yes, I'm sorry. He sorry. brought he brought the the trophy back home to Titletown in high school, and then he ended up with the uh, um, the turning of the, the Norwalk wrestling program around. And then he also thought you brought your A game last week. That was a compliment to you. Well, the podcast was I don't know if it was A game or not, but I know it was done earlier. So. Uh, Yeah. So dinner, dinner was at four and then you, you had a cup I'm of not, coffee. I'm not reading. I'm not, I'm not reading books about submarines. <laughs> we just talked about that today too. Oh, that's, not, that is funny. <laughs> I'm not helping people at Ace Hardware. Everyone sees it. Everyone sees it. He has blue hair. Um, Mark Farrington. He, uh, he sent the do it yourself dots pretzel recipe. I thought that was fantastic. Um, and then he told me to stop whining about serving size. Mark, I agree with you. I need to stop. I need to stop whining about serving size. My waistband has continued to increase in, in diameter based on the fact that I, I scoff at serving size and I eat whatever I want to, and it's just not healthy for me. Um, gravy, Jeff Gravy sent in and he, he remembers the 2008 group. He remembers that Grinnell you know, because we talked about my conversation with, with Jake Peterson, and he talked about um, that, that Grinnell game, how wet that was. And then Jake Peterson, of course, got poked in the eye and broke his orbital bone um, in his eye. And we thought he lost him for the year or whatever, and he ended up getting a, a visor, and he came back the next week against um, Knoxville. So we got, we got really, really lucky there to get him back and did not win the um, Grinnell game and that was the game that we were pretty confident we were going to get Grinnell for the first time beat Grinnell for the first time if it was dry and it was anything but dry no I I had our rain gear and I think it was new at the time I had left my hood down for a while I put my hood up and water drenched me from top to bottom because I just didn't realize that it was pooling in my hoodie it was wet and then he reminded us that it was Darren and Jordan Cotton at Mount Pleasant, Darren and Jordan, the two brothers, 
One went to Iowa, one went to Iowa State. And then Darian Henry Darian. What's that? Darian, wasn't it? Uh, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, fact checker, Jill Martin, get on that. And then Henry Krieger Koble was the uh, was the other one that was on there that the the third for for sure third division one uh, football player that was on that team. And then were they loaded for bear or for bear? B e a r or b a r e? B e a r. Yeah, I agree. That's what it was. I I think I send that back to both of you. That's what it. Because I think I think loaded for bear would mean like you were naked. Yeah, I think you're right. That should, that should not happen. Um, Criswell, you know, he's, he's excited about the history of the stadium, um, but he's also, so he loves our new stadium. However, some of the things from the old stadium he misses just because it was a, it, just the way that it was set up, it was laid out and everything. However, he also um, got into the, how awful it was to try and regulate things, you know, the, the fans on the hill and then we have to try and go up through there at halftime um, and then after the game and then he said all the kids playing football over there on the hill he said it was a nightmare from a security standpoint but he loved the loved the setup and the way that things were going so he he was excited about the uh, the old stadium um, as far as the he was reminiscing a little bit yeah there's definitely good and bad memories about walking up the hill yeah yeah well one in particular in 2002 no, it would have been 2000. Yeah, it was 2002. I got jumped um, by one, an angry dad. Woo, angry. Um, Dustin Krolik, microwave has to go to zero. And there is a correct way to load the, uh, the dishwasher. And then Lee Nelson, if you're listening, Dustin wanted you to know that uh, one of his college roommates was from Whiting. Name's Chad Smith. So he threw that at us. And then the last one, um, Tim Clay thought it was a great episode, and he loved um, us highlighting uh, Angela Davidson and the student artwork. He, he thought that was a good deal that we were we were bringing that on. You hear from anybody? Well, just uh, same people you did. Okay. And our our listens for all of our 23 episodes up to this point, we're now over 2,500 um, listens, which I thought was pretty impressive. You know, we're at obviously over 100 listens uh, an episode, and and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And again, you know, I can keep coming back to it, but never would have thought that we would be here, um, you know, not only with on episode 24, but then also that many people listening. So again, thank you for listening. And uh, if we don't have anything else feedback-wise, we're going to move on to high school sports. Um, tonight is Tuesday, uh, October 20th, and and we are, you know, unfortunately we're we're recording this while swimming is finishing up and uh, volleyball is going on. Well, swimming was winning. And this is the first time ever they've been in the little Hawkeye Conference swim meet based on the fact that uh, they've been with Lincoln. And so they have not done it. So now that they have broken away and, and doing their, their own thing without Lincoln there at the little Hawkeye Conference meet, it looked like they won three of the first four events. At least that was what was posted on Twitter. And then of course, cross country. I'm oh, sorry, I'll go volleyball. Volleyball is playing tonight home against uh, Carlisle and again you know we talked about it not only is it the first round of, of district play but also uh, coach Carpuck is going against her alma mater and the uh, the group of girls that she coached last year so big game for her and you know hopefully by the end we'll we'll have an update as to where we're at I think that was a 7-15 start we should have some sort of update from varsity bound um, as far as what the score is but haven't heard anything yet and it didn't see anything it was 0-0 last time I looked uh, as far as what was posted and then cross country, 
is tomorrow. Boys and girls run both, both of them run at uh, Southeast Polk and it's a big day, you know, for both because we're, we're competing at the 4A level for the first time in cross country. And I think, maybe not, maybe this is the second time. Didn't we have a year that we were up in 4A um, and competed? But, yeah. But uh, um, we got to be sophomore year. Yeah. Um, yeah. When did she blow her knee? Junior year. Because her sophomore year, she qualified as a, the 3A, 4A. Okay. I, that was the, because I remember we were up in basketball. Um, you know, obviously not in football, but, but we were in some of the others. So second time for cross country being up and, and a legitimate chance to put some points on the board for, or not very many points on the board to uh, um, place high for the boys and the girls. And hopefully we get somebody in the state and maybe even qualify as a team uh, from that side. And I think that'd be pretty awesome. So. Um, yeah, I haven't seen an update about volleyball. They started at 7.15, but there's nothing posted as of right now. Okay. So now we're going to move on to some updates. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not going to do a lot of updates outside of our own class when it comes to, uh, comes to the playoffs. We're, we're just going to, we're going to basically talk about 3A, but I do want to, I want to, basically I want to highlight one game in 4A, and that is uh, uh, Kevin Ferguson who is the head football coach at Ames High School, is going to play Southeast Polk High School, which is where he was a coach. And then, and then basically, you know, when he left Simpson, he went, to, he went to Southeast Polk and had been there for several years before he got the job there in Ames this year. And, and now he gets to go back and, uh, and take them on. And, and an exciting game for them against Cedar Rapids-Jefferson. I think they were down, uh, were they down 31-21 at half? And then they came back and won 35 31 or maybe they were down 28 21 at half they were down at halftime and they came back and they won 35 31 I thought it was more than that I thought it was a bigger deficit and they maybe really rallied maybe as I thought so, Peter Rapids Jeff scored at the end of a half could have been I don't remember what the I, I honestly don't know what the score was um, at halftime I just know that they were down and they came back and so that's really it you know as far as the the 4a and I don't really I'll be honest with you, I don't really want to talk about any of the other ones and now we'll go 3a um, you know, and we'll, we'll talk real quick because there's, there's 16 of them. We'll talk some matchups. We've got Sergeant Buff Luton against Denison Schleswig. We've got Spencer versus Humboldt. We've got Boyden Hall Rock Valley versus Storm Lake. We've got Webster City versus Mason City. Decorah versus Wallert Catholic of Dubuque. West Delaware versus Epworth, Epworth of Western Dubuque. We've got Cedar Rapids Xavier against Marion. Davenport Assumption against Central DeWitt. North Scott and Mount Pleasant. Washington, Keokuk, Grinnell, Fort Madison, Dow Center, Grimes, Carlisle, Pella, Winterset, Ballard, Nevada, Harlan against Bondurant, and then Lewis Central against us. That would be the, uh, be the setup. And, and, you know, for us, we can talk just a little bit. Um, I'll be honest with you, Mason City was, was, in my opinion, a little bit of an upset. Um, but the biggest upset was us over Glenwood. I, I don't think anybody in the world outside of our group had, had a one and five beating a five and two. As far as that goes, so we, we felt really good about uh, you know not only our matchup but obviously what was going on, and then um, an exciting game for us came down to the wire. You know we were we were down twenty one to six at half or six to twenty one if you will at half, and then we came back and and scored twenty one thirteen, um, and then we were twenty one made a field goal twenty one six or sixteen twenty one. Gosh, I got to get that right twenty one sixteen twenty one. 
scored, went for two, didn't get it. So now we're up 22-21. Um, got another chance late in the fourth quarter. Throw a pick. They go down and score. Three minutes left, and then we march down the field and score with about 20 seconds left. Went for two, got it. Took a 30-29 to 29 lead with 10 seconds left after the kickoff, and they got two offensive plays there to end it and seal the deal. So um, exciting win for us. And, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the opportunity to go to, uh, to Lewis Central just from the standpoint that um, we've been in this situation before where we hear all about the, uh, the other team and, and how we, we should not be in the, in the same area code with them. And, and uh, I like that challenge. I like being in that position. Uh, last Friday, you know, there was a lot of different things that we had to overcome. Uh, a bus mirror breaking. <laughs> right. So, the, so we arrived, I don't know, 45 minutes later than we wanted to arrive and rush out to warm up and, uh, First half defensively was a uh, well. Offensively, I don't think you guys clicked the way you wanted to. And defensively, we made we made three huge mistakes. Well, three mistakes that ended up with six points written on each one. And second half, we just cleaned it up. And they had that one long run. Other than that, um, turnovers helped us, which we hadn't created turnovers. And other than that, a long run on that fourth and one. Um, we, we played fairly clean for the first half in a long time. So defensively, our goal is to try to keep playing clean against, like you said, a real quality opponent. And we'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can, we can hang around in the fight. Um, had Cole Hopkins tell me that we were peaking at the right time. That was what, uh, what he threw at me on, uh, on Friday after the, after the game on the way home. You know, that was, that was uh, it made me chuckle. Well, I'd like to peak earlier, like maybe five games earlier. Well, sure, sure, but but at the <laughs> same grow, time, grow from that. Maybe not peak, but uh, finish a ball game. We got to put it together, you know. And and for us, you know, our struggles in the in the red zone and and down inside the five, you know, are are real. And we we struggled with it again, you know, to finish drives. And then of course we had one, we had a touchdown in the in the first quarter that got called back because of a holding penalty and. Um, you know, you got to try and overcome that, but down, you know, six to 21 at half and then come back and keep clawing and end up with, you know, three scores and take the lead. That was, that gave us a little bit of life. Yeah, so if I'm playing against you, I'm going to the officials and I'm saying, if they're inside the 10 yard line, don't call holding on. We don't care. <laughs> we don't, don't, because they're, all you're doing is backing them up. Yeah, and give us more room to run. Then their cats can run. Yeah. So and we do have it. some cats that can run. Don't, don't um, call it. So that really is it. You know, and obviously this Friday, everybody's supposed to play it. And I say that the, the way that I said it on purpose, that everybody's supposed to play at seven. Um, we were supposed to play at seven. And I think we ended up kicking off at 725. Initially, we were going to go seven. And then it was 715 because of our little issue. And then we're, we're scrambling. And the official comes over and he's like, we're going to put 10 more minutes on the board. We're going to start at 725. Okay, fair enough. Um, so a couple of side notes. Let's talk about facilities at uh, at Glenwood. Absolutely beautiful stadium. Um, press box. It sounds like was really nice. I don't know. And then you know everything around it was good. Still frustrated that that we didn't have a place to go at halftime inside. I I I have shared that many times with people that that's one of my 
great frustrations. However, their porta potties that they had were fantastic. Yeah, what were the journey? What were they, those called? It was something about log cabin deal. I don't know. They were they were fantastic. And then we got the Glenwood Booster Club to to feed us afterwards. You know, obviously had to pay them, but but they took care of us afterwards. And their hamburgers were magnificent. They were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So overall, you know, two and a half hours down. Well, a little longer for you. <laughs> for us, it was two and a half hours down. And uh, it was even longer because when we got there, we went to the wrong road. We went to the actual high school, so we had to come all the way back around to that road just prior to the high school sure. to the stadium drive. And then I told you that we get halfway down and then these three deer cross onto the road. And so we're stopped for these three deer and, and I'm just sitting there not trying to be anxious, controlling what I can control, not focusing on, you know, there's nothing I can do about these wonderful creatures walking into the road. Then they finally go by to, after they saunter by and then we start running the bus down and they start running beside us. <laughs> and they're on our left-hand side, and we have to take a left to get in the locker room. And I'm just thinking, Murphy's Law is we're going to turn and just nail one of those deer and then be stuck, and what's going to happen? And Whatever well, like, you do, the deer do, missed us. Don't hit the deer. Whatever you do. That should have been it. Um, so that's it for, for high school sports. You know, we're, we're in tournament time, you know, for everybody. Obviously, cross-country tomorrow. Volleyball's going on now, and – Swimming has is, is got their, their conference meet, so they're going to have uh, districts coming up here soon. And, and uh, you know, football traditionally would be week nine for us, but this is second, second week of, uh, of what the, the 2020 playoffs look like. And, again, it will not look like that moving forward, but that's what it looks like now. And um, we're down to 32 teams left in every class. And after Friday, we'll be down to, down to 16 like it is normally. And then the Iowa Athletic Association will officially call it um, the playoffs then at that point in time, if you make it to the round of 16. So we're going to move on to, on to the Papa Burger portion. And of course, the first thing we got to start with is our non-sponsor. And because we're still kind of on a, on a playoff, you know, topic, um, we're going to go with Bebop's. Uh, and, if, and I don't know if Steve Wormerskirken and, and uh, Mike Gavin are listening, but, you know, they're huge Bebop's fans. AJ Tabatabai, I know, is a big Bebop's fans also. And, and I mean, we've got a lot of people who love the Bebop's. And the reason why it's a sponsor for us is, as, as we talked about again tonight in the, in the coach's locker room, if we, back in the round of 32, you know, when they did that and when you go Friday, Wednesday, Monday, Friday, Thursday, Thursday, if we won that first round game on Wednesday, Thursday, we always did lunch at my house in the basement. And we always got Bebops for lunch. And it was magnificent. So I thought that I would bring that up. And Jake Brown, at some point in time, you need to try Bebops. Now, I, I liked Bebop's. Now, with uh, um, the advent of uh, what's the hamburger? I forget it. Not custards. Uh, they serve custard. Culver's. Culver's, yeah. Quinn loves Culver's. And I've always been like, whatever, whatever. He took me to Culver's. I think I'd never go back to Bebop's if I could always go to Culver's. Oh, shots fired. Yeah. I mean, uh, Culver's was good. I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to eat them both. I, I don't know that uh, it's going to be, you know, oh, oh, one or the other. They're both delicious. Yeah, but if you, really if you were on a desert island and a genie said, you, okay. How's that? 
Although I would tell you, if I truly, if I had a choice, I would go Red Robin first. But that's not really a fast food rest, fast food burger. But I, I'm picking Red Robin. I I love Red Robin burgers, and we got to go there last week. Um, what'd you get? I got the black and blue. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Black and blue. But I, and I'm a I'm a royal. Yeah, the black and blue. I like it more when it's like a Maytag black and blue. Oh, <laughs> yes, the blue gross. cheese all yeah, over. That is it. gross. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Gross. So, yeah. this is this is the guy who had yolk all over his beard. It was delicious. I love that burger. I don't know what it is about it, but it, they they are Red Robin burgers are fantastic. And and Ro Molina explained why you do the egg, right? Yeah, Argentina. Right? Wasn't it Argentinian? You probably well, I, couldn't could, hear I didn't hear that part because <laughs> the the top was down in the in the convertible, so you could, you couldn't hear. I looked like I looked like the third wheel in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Cameron, <laughs> oh, that's a great great movie too, by the way. So Papa Burger, if anybody remembers Tony D Amato, you know who that is. Um, he's either the no, that's Tony DiCicco, who was the U.S. soccer coach, and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't know him. So he's the guy who ran the triple option stuff. No, that's Chuck, I think. Oh. D'Amato. This is Tony D'Amato is the uh, character from Any Given Sunday, in oh. which he gives the gives this speech about one yard, right? And then, or a game of inches? Yeah. I've even got that wrong. Anyway, so – the reason why it's named Tony Diamato is we're going to talk a little bit about pregame and halftime speeches. So I think it's important for us to make sure that we, we throw this out there. And I'll remind you again that if you are, were a high school athlete or a college athlete or, or a professional athlete, I don't know if anybody's a professional athlete, but give us some feedback and we'll get to the end about it, but give us some feedback on, uh, on the old pregame and, and uh, halftime speeches. And I especially am interested in those people that played for us and give us some, whether they're good or bad, memories of some of our pregame or halftime speeches that, that you remember, you know, that, that are uh, stuck in the old memory bank. So here's the first one. Here's the first question when it comes to this. Um, are they really like the movies? Well, no, except for the one speech, but I'm not going to talk about that speech. <laughs> but the, the, I, think, I think the one thing that we have a tough time with is, is that Hollywood has done a really good job of sensationalizing the, the halftime speech. I mean, you know, you think about the Waterboy speech at halftime. Do you remember when Bobby Boucher came back and the Mud Dogs won the Bourbon Bowl? You know, you, you think about all of those speeches that have happened and, oh, my gosh, they're just so well laid out and they're so eloquent and they're so thought of and well thought out and, and you know, passionate and things like that. Um, and, and because of that, you know, people think that or assume that that's what's going on in, in, the, in the world of high school athletics. And it's just not. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. It, it is not. Um, do they work? Do, do pregame speeches and um, halftime speeches work? Um, there are certainly times that I think they can provoke the, 
the necessary emotion that you need to get going in a game and at times to rally if you need to get going in a game. I mean, I, based on my experience in seeing you speak or times that I've spoke or seen my coaches speak, there are just times where they say things and I, um, and I think they have an impact. Uh, I think it has a lot to do though with how much you truly have the connection as a team, teammate to teammate and coach to teammate. You know, how much do they really believe in, in uh, the program and, and what you're doing? Because sometimes that's really easy to motivate them. Then. Sometimes it's hard if the connection's not there. I think for me, you know, the, the, the evolution of my, just my thought process when it came to pregame and halftime speeches, you know, back in the day, I used to think that they were, they had to be fiery and they had to be passionate and they had to be full of, you know, full of emotion. And oh, oh my gosh, they had to have the, you know, the rah, rah and the, the Hollywood glean to it, you know, a little bit. Um, and, and now it's more of, it's more of reminders, you know, because at the end of the day, that emotion that you get going wears off typically, especially for the bigger dudes, it's going to wear off by the time they get to the bench. You know, if they have to run a long ways and after they warm up and everything and, and that emotion is gone. So I have, I've evolved when it comes to well, that. I think to do a really good speech, it's, it's, uh, you link it throughout the week. It's like you, you're trying to get the pot to boil. And then by Monday, you know, simmering, Tuesday simmering, you know, and then all by Friday, then you got it at a good boil. Then you put in the pasta and you cook the dish, you know, and that's what I mean by a good speech can really can it can get you there. I don't think it necessarily wins the game. I think the preparation now there's a few times that you can get kids to react to you, but um, I do believe if you if you go out and whip your dog too many times, like yelling and screaming, eventually the dog just gets tired of it and and isn't gonna fight. I agree. I, and you know I have. Over the years, I have yelled less. Now, <laughs> some people this year may disagree with that statement, um, but I, I don't yell near as much as what I did back in 1996 when I was in Cascade. That's all. That's how I communicated. Is I yelled. I thought that's the way that had to be done, and changed that a lot. And then because of that, so I mean, so the the pregame and the halftime talks have changed because of that. So let's let's move on to this question: What do pregame speeches have to have? And then what do halftime speeches have to have? What do you got to have in them in order for them to be effective? Oh, see, that's where I don't know if, uh, if I've had any impactful talks. I don't know if it's always something. Pre-game things are things that I used to think about for sure. Halftime, lots of my best were never that I thought about. I just was really emotional. Okay, but what do in they have to opinion, have? What do they have to have? So let's let's start with pregame. What do pregame speeches or pregame talks? What do they have to have in order to be? Well, see, this is where I think the pregame talk is 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 too short in some ways to say what does it have to have. I mean, I, I, to me, it's it's that same analogy I just gave, really turning up the heat just enough to get everybody simmering and going. Um, lots of times, I think you know when people talk on Fridays. 
we've had some great speakers come in on Friday breakfast. Uh, we've had some other speakers come in that I'm like, you know, okay, that's nice. I think that message can really help us build pregame. Like lots of people speak on it, not lots, but every week when we have a Friday breakfast, somebody speaks. And when they deliver, you know, Caster's delivered some good speeches. You can hit those kids one more time about what that means. And usually the speech they give, uh, you've talked to them about, well, here's our theme for a week. And they build off that theme. And so all these things are interconnected and the kids are hearing a message. And, and when they hear it from you and then they hear it from someone different, and then they hear it from me as a, as a defensive coordinator, and then they hit it one more time from you, there's, a, there's an emotional message being sent there. And I think that helps prepare. So if, if I'm hearing you correctly, which I agree wholeheartedly with, is, is you, whatever your theme for the week is, is what the main focus of that pregame talk is supposed to have. And just a, another reminder of what it is that you've talked about all week. I think we're at our best when we do that. Because it, yeah. it's, it's very rare that we sit back and say, you know, these are our arch enemies and we want to destroy them. <laughs> That's not, we, we put that out there sometimes because rivalries are rivalries, but we don't, we don't harp on that type of hate speech, you know. It's, our speeches are, are more about our best when we do link them. Yeah. And what do we need to do? We focus a lot on what we need to do, not let's destroy these people because they are who they are. It is, it's about us. So what does halftime have to have? Well, when I was younger, um, <laughs> halftime sometimes could be very emotional. <laughs> yeah. uh, as I got older, sometimes it's still emotional, but most of the time now it's corrections. What do you need to do? What do we need to correct? And what adjustments do we need to make? And, and then maybe, and, and then some challenges. There's times I've challenged guys. You know, there's times I've challenged some of our best players that you're supposed to be our best player. Be that player now. At the, uh, at the end of the day, the, the, in my opinion, the two biggest differences between pregame, you know, before the game as you get ready to go out and halftime is halftime is, is way, in my opinion, way more emotional. Because now you've been through a half. You've, you've, you've got one more half to go. You've seen what's going on. These, you know, some of these reminders are out the window. Now it's about, you know, gut check time and, and how are you going to come out and play the second half? And then the second thing is you have to be able to make adjustments. And yeah. then you have to spend that time at halftime trying to figure out how to get it across to your guys, what they have to do and get them to understand it so that they can come out and execute. And, and that to me are the two biggest changes. You're not doing that before the game. Yeah, no. There's two times that I felt I was delivering some of the more, a very emotional, poignant speech. And, and then later I find out that Orrin Waters was really only concerned with whether or not I was going to stomp on his beats because he left them in the middle of the floor. Not listening to anything I say. He went out and played a great second half, but it had nothing to do with, I think he was motivated by the fear of losing his beats. And then- That scaling uh, steps on my beats. <laughs> And then all the way back in Perry when we were trying to get better and uh, uh, I punched through a chalkboard 
trying to get them motivated. And later I hear John Stageman say that he was laughing so much he had to hide his face because he didn't want me to go crazy on him. So 1999, I do believe. Yeah. That would have been. And that didn't, I think we won, but I don't think that speech made a difference. I just think we stopped turning over punts. We did win um, in 1999 at Perry. So done with that piece. Now, here is, this to me is the most important question of the night. Are you ready? Why do people always think that after halftime, if we come out and we play well, that it was our speech that did, what'd you guys say at halftime? I can't believe what you did. What, why do people think that if we come out and play well in the second half, that it's, that it has something to do with our speech? Well, I'll even take it a step further. Man, the adjustments you made at halftime. Oh my gosh, that was brilliant. How did yeah. you, how did you, how did you do that? And then when I say, eh, all we really did is said, do our stuff better. Do it right. You're like, no, no, I can tell. You're just not saying, uh, you know, because yes, we make adjustments, but it, you know, it's really hard to do entire changes to the defense and have it executed correctly. So, yeah, I don't know. I think because people they see a change. I'm sure at Glenwood, people are like, "Man, there must have been a lot of crazy stuff said," and those guys are all fired up. Or, or maybe it was because a uh, Maddox's dad yelled at him and they started to cheer a little bit. I just think it's because we um, hit the correct gaps on our pressures. For most of the second half. Well, you know, to be honest with you, at, at Glenwood, everyone in the stands should know what we said because we were standing right by him. <laughs> we, we, there was no separation between the crowd and us as we were standing there at halftime. So they had to have heard us. So they had to have known. You know, the, the probably the one that we get it the most at is, you know, what did you say to those boys at Ballard? You know, in 2018 when we came back from being down, but we were down three to 17 at halftime. And then they come out and score right away to go for two. And we're down, down three to 25 um, early in the third quarter. And we storm all the way back, win in double overtime. And people, you know, attribute us playing well in the second half to what we said at halftime. And, you know, I told you today, we didn't say anything at halftime. You know, we were basically ready to, to take our, our licks and get out and still try to win the district. And, by some grace of, of the football world, we, uh, we came back and won. Okay, here are the most difficult questions. What is your most memorable speeches, whether they be pregame or postgame? Can be you, can be me, can be you from high school even. Is what, are, what are your most memorable pre-game and halftime speeches that you can that you can think of and why why are they oh I know I and you can't act like you don't we I, talked about this today I, I know I'm not gonna I'm not sharing oh gosh you don't have to you don't have to get into the specifics but you can at least talk about why you have to talk about 2015 how can you not Okay, so I think the two that caused, I feel as if, or hope they did, caused some change was one, the one where we're losing to Nevada with Brandon's group. 2000, 2000, 2000 homecoming. Yeah, homecoming, and we're, we're 
blowing our chance of what we thought we we're going to get to the playoffs and not playing well. And we go in and I discuss the thousand pound club. Correct. I discuss how I was very unhappy that we couldn't get a foot. And also correct. Um, I don't think I kicked them out of the locker room. I think I threatened to kick them all out of the locker room, but accurate. Then we go out and I think we score like 21, 28 straight points, something. Mike, crazy. Mike Smith had a pick six, right? No, he had, he intercepted and then he fumbled it yeah. um, on his way to the end zone. But yes, yeah. we had a much better second half. We played lights out. Yeah. And, but you don't know. I mean, obviously it's the players that do it. Sometimes that's that maybe the burner was a little bit hotter when I was making my pasta. Um, and then 2015, um, it's memorable to me, and I hope it made an impact with the players when you and I talked, and I said, "Let me, let me finish this, let me finish this halftime, and just." You told me to go first. Yep. And I will. I'll wrap it up. And I think that talk was just, hey, if you have, who, if you could have said, 24 minutes from now, you get a chance to go to the dome or you you complete the opportunity to go to the dome what would you be willing to give up what would you be willing to do um said some stuff said some said some i said to, you know to the offense you score two touchdowns we won't let them score again and we win the game and uh basically that is all correct it all went down that way until the notorious number 82 Doug Heritage went in motion. Oh, yeah. So you would have looked like Notre Dame predicting things as far as holding him out, shutting him out of the, the second half. No points scored. Two scores by the, t the offense, which we got one in the third quarter, even after an interception. Interception on our first drive, and the second drive went right down the field. Third drive, go down, take a long time to do it, and score first play of the fourth quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, what a gosh. And remember, so no, this points, is, no points out of DCG at that point in time. And then what happened in the fourth quarter? Uh, well, they line up in their two by two. Or it's a tight end tray look, but it's inverted. And Doug Heritage comes in motion from the weak side, goes on the crossing route. Which that, and when he came in that Zen motion, that in motion, that usually met crosser, right? At almost 100%. Yeah. Still hmm. does. And we had a certain individual who was supposed to jump it. Huh. Cole Hawkins. Oh, yeah, weird, weird. <laughs> anyway. And now I have to buy that guy lunch. You know, my daughter comes home, he has to hang out, and I had to buy him lunch. And he likes to call me Papa Tom and stuff like that. Fun. Would have been the greatest speech ever had he not screwed that up. <laughs> We might call this the Tom Skellen episode instead of the Tony D'Amato episode, <laughs> had that not happened. Thanks a lot, Cole. Oh, but many people forget that uh, <laughs> what else was really good, not about the speech, but about that moment, is that they had really kind of taken it to us and whooped us in the scrimmage. We looked really terrible against them in the scrimmage. You know, kind of like we looked at each other and said, I thought we'd be pretty good, and we knew these guys were all right. And... Uh, it felt pretty good to come out on the right side of that game at the end. Yeah. Um, I got to be honest with you. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go a bad memory first. I'm going to start with. I told you the one I was going to share with you. 
you know, we, we came up, um, came up at halftime against Sheraton one year. And some of you who were there will, will probably remember this. And, and everything that Sheraton did was stuff that we had talked about. When they line up like this, they're running this. When, when, the, when the wing back is here and he does that, that pirouette, that 360 motion, you know, or that movement that he's coming back around and they're running the counter backward, whatever. And we were just getting hammered by Sheraton in the first half. And so I come up and I am just spitting nails mad yelling at the coaches and everything and you finally got on me and you're like just stop telling us go in there and tell them what you think and i went in and i unloaded on that group um in fact i do believe i heard from several parents afterwards um that you know their kid went home and complained about that and i i got several emails um at that point in time and i told you that the memory for me that's bad is is that I was putting expectations on a group that they should be able to stop a team that was just better than us. And it was not going very well. So sometimes you have to be realistic in what it is that you expect and what you, what you talk about at halftime. That also has to happen. Um, another one would be old game field. Uh, and this yeah, doesn't really Hang on just a second. Steve Andrews reminded me of, we've had lots of memories at Sheridan. Remember the time I got all fired up and I threw a piece of chalk <laughs> and it hit the wall and hit the hit our kicker and exploded all over. I think that's yep. Daniel Audley, we thought. Oh gosh, yeah. Look he's looking like, what what did I do? <laughs> How about Cunningham getting locked in the bathroom and then sneaking out onto the field? Yeah, um, that's right. Sheridan, yeah. weird things happen. Start me up, Rolling Stone. Two thousand and seven. So the um that one was a bad memory. The well, this one isn't necessarily good or bad. If you're an assistant coach, it wasn't very good. We, we were at home, old game field, and we are standing there, and something happened. We, everybody had an assignment. You were supposed to watch, you know, either the backside defensive end, whatever, backside corner. And they, you asked a question to somebody, hey, what did the backside defensive end do? And the person that was supposed to watch it came back and said, I don't know. I wasn't watching. And then I asked, what did – and I went down the list of all the things that people were supposed to be wanting. What did, the, what did this guy do? 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 And every answer that came back over the headset was, I don't know. I wasn't watching. I'm not sure if the door from outside, you know, where we could get separated there by the uh, um, concession stand was all the way shut before I started into my tirade um, with the assistant coaches and just ripped them up one side and down the other about, doing their job and how unacceptable that was that was oh matt rampton and i still talk about that that chewing um because i was livid about that and that didn't even have anything to do with the kids that was us not doing our job well God, it, it is it is motivating what's that it is it's motivating yeah well, you're, just, you're motivating the staff i sure was um, and then probably one of my one of my more highlighted ones would be Pella from last year. You know, we did the lights out deal. Um, felt like that was a good one. You know, but again, that that really that wasn't a a yelling and a screaming. That was a, a get them to understand what's going to happen here in the next forty eight minutes. You know, with the, with the game and everything. But that one is way up there for me. Um, and I'm talking personally. You know, the things that I've had to do. My my most memorable one from you would be the halftime at Dallas Center Rocks because I felt like that was a huge piece in in getting them refocused for the, uh, the second half because we were down six seven 
at that point in time. You know, we missed the extra point there um, after we scored because we went right down the field and scored right away in the first quarter, and then nothing. We were we we were not very good offensively, and we were lights out good defensively um, in that game. So that would be that would be for me. You delivered a fantastic speech at South Tama. Um, I just can't remember which time it was we played them. The the issue was it was a 20-minute halftime, and you got after them at like 12 minutes, and everybody was all jacked up, and then they had to sit down for five more minutes. That was at home. Yeah. That was at home. In 2000, home? we upset them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that one. That was that a good was, one. Yeah, it was a terrific speech. And then you and I talked, we're like, well, we better work on the timing on that next time. <laughs> and we have been much better with that. You know, now I wait for a long time before I before I talk, even before the game. You know, there's that that those awkward moments of pause for you. Like, as long as Matt Andrews is doing the time, we'll always know. Yes, he is. He is on it. Thank goodness. Now, obviously, those are those are just some of the more memorable ones. Not necessarily positive, just more memorable. Um, and so now what we need is we need some help from, from our listeners to, uh, to let us know what were some of your more memorable, either pregame or halftime talks or speeches, whatever you want to call them, from the time when you played, or if you're a coach, what were some of the more memorable ones that you had um, while you were coaching, whether that be pregame or halftime. Um, you know, you, you can go explicit. We'll just, we'll bleep him, you know. I'm saying because nobody's going to be on here live, so we'll 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 take care of the editing piece Nothing of it. Nothing was ever explicit. Correct. Um, and then we will uh, um, take care of that. And again, for me, I'm I'm really most interested in guys that played for us. You know, I want to hear from them what what they remember from pregame and and uh, halftime speeches. And then again, want to remind you, does not have to be positive could be in, like you guys were terrible um with this one can't even believe you were talking about this or whatever i know that uh as we wrap that part up one of the more memorable speeches i ever heard was my freshman year at simpson we're playing in our first home game and well coach Wims, he doesn't do anything too crazy relative to the things you've heard me say yeah and um, we're like down 21 to nothing at Luther. And I'm saying there's a freshman. I'm like, you know, at Hoover, we were four and five and four and five. And I wanted to go someplace where we were going to win. I just, I wanted to go someplace we, where we were going to win. And that's the place that I chose. And here we are down 21 to nothing. I'm like, man, here we are. We're down. I can't believe it. And Coach Wrong Williams. Choice. Yeah, Coach Williams just yells and screams at everybody and then he gets on this thing he's like here's here's what i'm going to tell you is going to happen the defense will never let them score again they'll never score again in this game we're going to go down the next straight four possessions and we're going to score four times and we win the game 28 21 and it unfolded exactly like he said and i sat there and i went oh i'm with a wizard this guy knows it all so if if i were to to kind of tie this all together if Cole Hopkins guards Doug Heritage and you shut him out in the second half and we do exactly what you said you would be on the same level as the wizard of Jim Williams when it comes to 
we're going to shut them out in the second half and offense, you're going to score twice and we're going to win 19 to seven. Well, I, I'm never going to ever, ever be on coach Williams level. Cause that's a whole different level of coaching and his speeches are um, full of a lot of interesting stories and a lot of color. Um, but I at least could have gone to my mentor and said, Hey coach, I almost delivered one as good as you. Thanks Cole. Appreciate it. So again, wrapping this up, Papa Burger, you know, this is, this is basically us talking about pregame and, and halftime speech. Do they work? Do they not work? You know, and what do they have to have and, and what do they look like? And what are some of the more memorable ones that we've had? And then want to hear from you. What, what were some that, whether you're playing or coaching, what were some of the more memorable um, pregame and halftime speeches that you've had? And, and let us know. So we get to, we get to hear back from you on that. And, you know, just a little side note for you. I have left a lot of room um, in my little journal for, uh, for feedback. So I'm hoping that I get to hear from quite a few people when it comes to that. So we're going to move on to history. And this week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, the history of football in the state of Iowa. Okay. Um, so just a little side note for you. You know how we keep talking about when, when football started back up in, in Norwalk, when uh, um, Gable, Lawrence Gable started football back up in Norwalk. Little did we know. So Jim and Jan and uh, Christy and Jake are at the game on Friday at Glenwood. They are sitting next to a gentleman who graduated from Norwalk, who is 77 years old, I think they said. And he said that football was in Norwalk back in like the 30s. Someone died while playing. Therefore, it got shut down and then didn't get restarted again until Lawrence Gable did it. So when we talk about, you know, when football has been around and everything, we're, we're missing that, you know, the early, early, early stages of football in Norwalk. Um, what we remember, what we talk about is when it got restarted um, back in, I think, what was it, 1960 was the first season. Um, so just interesting to hear that. And I there, did you check for yearbooks? Did you go back? Have you gone back and looked? I don't think we have a 1930 yearbook, do we? Yeah, we've got one that's really, really, really old, but I never look in it. Because what I, year did I, you say 1936? Yeah, something like that. 32, 36, somewhere in there. Um, but so this guy graduated from Norwalk. He lives like the same block of the stadium at Glenwood. And he came to the game, lives in Glenwood, but came and sat on the Norwalk side which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, um, loyalty. What's that? Loyalty. Yeah, so that helped, I thought. That was pretty cool. So here we go. Are you ready? Here, yeah. are, some, here are some fast facts about uh, football. And you can get these on the Iowa Athletic Association uh, website. So it's not like I'm making this up or I did you know, a huge amount of research. I just went out and grabbed this. In 1890, football begins play at some high schools. Many teams representing schools were clever town teams using players not enrolled in school. So it's like old school, um, the, the movie. 1905, member schools of newly formed IHSAA banned from playing football. 1908, IHSAA lifts football ban. Member schools allowed to resume games in 1909. How about that for you? 1909, 1912, field length reduced to 100 yards with 10 yard end zones. Teams given four downs to advance 10 yards. Points for touchdowns set at six. So that was 1912 when that happened. 1932, 
NFHS publishes rules for high school football departing from previously used NCAA rules. Did not know that. Hmm. 1935, here's a good one for you. 1935, helmets become required by NFHS rules. Who needed them back before that? 1930, time of quarters reduced from 15 minutes to 12 minutes, and that's still going on now. We still are 12 minutes. 1954, use of plastic face masks become legalized. 1954. 1958, points set for successful try after touchdown with one for kick and two for successful runner pass. 1960, tooth and mouth protectors become required by IHSAA players. Holy cow. 1968. They also, they also, they also recommended you use toothpaste for sensitive teeth while playing football. Uh, yeah, that's funny. 1968, IHSAA becomes among the first states in the nation to ban spearing and illegal helmet contact. Playoff system in 1972, playoff system initiated by the IHSAA for the first time, four classes with four qualifiers in each class. Iowa becomes first state to adopt overtime procedures in case of ties. 1975, number of playoff qualifiers per class increased from four to eight. 1976, championship games moved to the new Unidome in Cedar Falls. 1979, IHSA hits peak of football participation by schools with 435 of 506 member schools fielding teams. By the way, we do not have 506 member schools anymore in the Iowa Athletic Association. 1981, Class A added to the playoff system. 1984, Classes 3A, 2A, 1A, and A expand from eight qualifiers to 16 qualifiers for postseason. 4A increases to 16 in 1986. Now, remember, we made it to the playoffs for the first time in 1983, which is why we made the quarterfinals, because there was only eight. Um, that was Dave Minert's first year in the, in the playoffs. 1992, district football format begins. First mercy rule adopted, set at 50 points. 1998, semifinal games moved from school sites to Unidome. Eight-player football revived after being dropped in the late 50s to be added to playoff structure with four qualifiers in 2000, and that has expanded greatly. Playoff, now this is 2002, playoff qualifiers for eight football, eight player increases from four to eight. 2004, continuous clock begins for 35 point differential at any time during second half of games. And remember, it was 50 points. When you hit 50 after halftime, that game was ended. 2006, IHSAA and Iowa Medical Society begin joint reminders and mailings on concussion management. Eight player, this is still 2006, eight player increases playoff qualifiers from eight to 16. So now they're on pace with on track with everybody else. 2008, this is a big year for us. Postseason adds rounds for all classes, initially called substate for all 32 teams per class. 2010, IHSA issues protocol for concussion management and head trauma becomes part of state. I don't know what, I can't read that. Becomes um, substate, oh no wait, I gotta start over because I just got distracted. Scallon's trying to show me a score of something but I don't know what it was. Uh, Norwalk won in volleyball tonight. Three nothing? Three nothing. Okay, perfect. Congratulations, Norwalk Volleyball. Moving on. IHSA issues protocol for con concussion management and head trauma becomes part of state government legislation in 2011. 2016, number of playoff qualifiers in each class decreases from 32 to 16. And now 2018, districts decrease in size, playoff qualifying changes for all classes, ratings, percentage index, the RPI, introduced for at-large 
qualifier. So that is our history. I thought that was important for us. You know, right now we're, we're, we're in the heart of, of football season. So, and you and I both coach it. So I thought that was probably a good thing for us. Um, and get it done. You know what I mean? You got anything to add to that? Nope. It's a nice little timeline you ran down. Yeah. And again, you can find that on the Iowa Athletic Association. Um, our positive for the night. Ready? It could be any of them. It could be any of them. But I, I want to highlight Jim Wood. I enjoy him as our bus driver, and I think he does an absolutely magnificent job for us. Um, and, of course, it does help that Jim is, is father-in-law to Chad Martin. You know, Chad is married to his daughter. Um, I think that's important to, to know. But it also helps that, that Jim is a Norwalk grad. He, he has lived there his whole life, and he owned uh, an old milk route, which took him everywhere in the state. And so he knows everything about the roads and the highways and the times and things like that to, to get from point A to point B. Um, and so, like, for instance, last week, had Chad check with Jim, what time do we need to leave to get to Glenwood? And then on our way home this week, he and I had a conversation, what time do we need to leave to get to Lewis Central? And He's just, he's just, he's awesome. And again, he's one of my, uh, he's one of my security blankets. You know, I, I feel really good when he's on the, when he's on the bus um, driving, you know, back in the day, it used to be Jim Huss. Like I loved it when Jim Huss was our bus driver, you know, and again, for me, you got to be comfortable and Jim Wood and I'm comfortable around Jim Wood. So I feel good about that. What do you think of that positive? It's a good positive. Those guys go out of their way to make sure we get to do the things we like to do and they don't get a lot of fanfare for it. So it's always a lot of the people that uh, never get noticed that help a lot of us get to enjoy football, soccer, basketball, all the sports, all the other activities, band, music. You know, without them, we wouldn't get there. So they deserve a little bit of applause. Well, and I also think, you know, it, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, um, you, if you like your bus driver, you know, if your bus driver is the one you want that bus driver every time you take an away trip, you know, and, and they become, you know, part of, part of your travel entourage, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Almost a, almost a staff member, you know, similar to something like that. I know he does an excellent, he does an excellent evacuation drill as well. Oh, yeah. So he was part of that coming out for, uh, what was that last yeah. Monday? Yeah. You have to do that. He's just, he's, he is wonderful. And, and obviously, you know, our bus drivers are great. Um, I'm just highlighting him in particular, just because he happens to be on our bus. Um, and I really like him a lot. And I'm thankful that he is our bus driver. Um, so our positive, Jim Wood. So what else you got? You got anything else for tonight? That's it. Okay. So again, this is episode 24. And the title, Tony D'Amato from any given Sunday because we talked pregame speeches and halftime speeches and, and our non-sponsor was Bebop. So we thank them. Um, get out and get yourself a, a double or a, a single, I guess. I don't know if you're watching yourself, which I, I am, have, if anybody has seen me uh, in the last two weeks, you know that I am not watching myself um, when it comes to that. So get yourself out, get a Bebop's and uh, make sure between now and next week, we hear from you you know, as far as pregame and postgame, or not postgame, but pregame and, and halftime, what were, what were some of your more memorable 
don't have to be positive. They can be a negative, but, but what were some of the most memorable and then why were they memorable? Tell us a little something about it. And I especially want to hear from those that played for us. Um, and let's make sure they're not made up because I'm afraid there's going to be some made up things that never really happened, but they think they happened. Well, again, you know, I, you and I have, have pretty decent memories when it comes to uh, some of the things that, that we, you know, do and say. So I think we'll have a pretty good idea if that did happen or did not happen. But, and, and it can be, you know, if you're a coach out there and you didn't play for us or, or whatever, maybe a memorable one for you when you were coaching, or maybe memorable for you if you didn't go to Norwalk, but you went someplace else and, you know, whether it be college or wherever, but just some memorable ones. Anyway, um, episode 24, Tony Diamato. Um, this is Talking the Walk. And thank you again very much for listening. And I appreciate it. I am Paul Patterson signing off. Tom Scallon, have a great night. Closing time. Thank you for listening to the Talking the Walk podcast show. Yeah.